In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we welcome you to the All Souls Sermon Podcast. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Today's collect rightly confesses that Jesus Christ was given to us both as a sacrifice for sin and also an example of godly life. But sometimes in the Gospels, it is not immediately obvious that Jesus is setting an example of a godly life. The story of his encounter with the Canaanite woman, which we've just heard, is a notorious instance of this. The woman comes to Jesus, asking him to heal her daughter. And Jesus responds in a way that seems, at least to many of our contemporaries, downright offensive. First, he ignores her. Then he rejects her request just because she's not Jewish. And to top it all off, he apparently insults her. It's not fair to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs, he says. Did he just call her a you-know-what? Why does Jesus respond in the way that he does? Was he tired? Was he acting out of chauvinism? Or even prejudice? Some of our contemporaries have thought so. So can we understand his response as holy? What in the world is going on in this story? Well, let's take a closer look to see what we can see. Notice first where the story takes place. It takes place in the district of Tyre and Sidon, that is, in Gentile territory, specifically in Phoenicia, part of the Roman province of Syria. And it's not at all clear what Jesus is doing there at all, particularly given his later insistence that his mission is limited to the house of Israel. Maybe he went there to take a break from the controversy surrounding his ministry. Or maybe he went there precisely to encounter this woman. As for the woman herself, she's described as a Canaanite. And the Canaanites were, of course, the ancient adversaries of the people of Israel. And so this description not only labels her as a Gentile through and through, it also flags the underlying ethnic tension. Indeed, tensions between the Jews and Gentiles were particularly high in that very region. Josephus, the great Jewish historian, reports that the Tyrians were bitter enemies of the Jews, carrying out anti-Jewish pogroms as early as the first century BC. And adding to these ethnic and religious tensions were no doubt those created by the economic disparity between wealthy Tyre and the surrounding countryside. So this is a story with many tensions simmering below the surface. What else can we say about the woman? In the story, she doesn't have a name, but the tradition has happily supplied her with one, calling her Eusta and her daughter Bernice. Whatever their names or social status, though, the narrative makes clear that she is a woman deeply concerned for the welfare of her child. Her daughter is afflicted with a mysterious and troubling ailment, 
grievously vexed with the devil, and she will do anything that she can to find a cure. And somehow in God's providence, she's heard about Jesus. Somehow she knows that he is rightly addressed as Lord and as the son of David. And so she comes to him, and she begs him to have mercy on her and heal her daughter. But he answered her not a word. He ignores her. She, though, is undeterred, and she continues to cry out so persistently that the disciples beg Jesus to just give her what she wants so that she goes away and stops bothering them. And in response, Jesus says that he was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, so refusing again to help her. This is the second time in the gospel narrative that Jesus has spoken of the lost sheep of Israel. The first time was when he sent out the 12 apostles, and he charged them, go nowhere among the Gentiles, but go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. And the phrase is an allusion to the prophet Jeremiah's description of the people of Israel exiled in Babylon. The prophet says, my people have been lost sheep. Their shepherds have caused them to go astray. They have turned them away on the mountains. They have forgotten their resting place. And when Jesus says that he was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, he's making it clear that his primary mission is to rescue and restore the straying people of Israel. Those are his marching orders, as it were. He's come first as the Messiah, the anointed one of God's chosen people, Israel. But the woman continues to persist. She doesn't care what Jesus' brief is. She believes he can heal her daughter. So she falls on her knees before him and begs him, simply and desperately, Lord, help me. Do you hear the pathos in those three little words? Lord, help me. They express a world of concern. They're the words of a mother who has tried everything to save her daughter and has nowhere else to turn. The words of someone who knows that her only hope is standing before her. Their words, as Jesus acknowledges later in the story, of deep faith. Words at the heart of true prayer. And they make me think of what St. Therese of Lisieux says about prayer. Prayer, says Therese, means launching out of the heart towards God. It means lifting up one's eyes, quite simply to heaven, a cry of grateful love from the crest of joy or from the trough of despair. It's a vast supernatural force, she says, which opens out my heart and binds me close to Jesus. Lord, help me, the woman says. But as so often happens when we pray, her request seems to be rejected. Jesus' response, at face value anyway, is not exactly encouraging. It is not meet to take the children's bread and to cast it to dogs, he says. And here we return to the question with which we began. Why 
does Jesus respond like this? On the one hand, his language echoes what he says elsewhere. Do not give what is holy to the dogs. Do not cast your pearls before swine. On the other hand, here, it's interesting to notice that Jesus uses the diminutive form of the word for dog. It's a word which might better be translated as little dog or doggy, which conjures an image of a house dog, not exactly the equivalent of our beloved canine companions, to be sure, but certainly not a mangy, flea-ridden street dog scavenging among the trash. And if a little house dog, then perhaps not an unwelcome stranger, but someone already a member of the household. Christ's words, in other words, leave open the door through which the woman steps with such wit. Yes, Lord, she says, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. So maybe we can say that Jesus is setting up her response, intentionally giving her what she will need to set the rhetorical trap into which he will gladly step. In short, to see Christ's response as prejudiced in some way is an overly hasty conclusion, a failure of imagination. And if we start with the conviction that what Jesus says and does just is good and beautiful and true and is so definitively, then we'll have the patience to look long enough to discern the compassion and the mercy in his response to her. Let me put it a little bit differently. What if we started from the end of the story, from the fact that Jesus does give the woman what she wants, that he heals her daughter? What difference might that make? What if we assume that all along he wants to give her the good thing that she seeks? What if he is towards her as God is towards us when we pray? Sometimes silent, sometimes maddeningly elusive, sometimes apparently indifferent or unfair, but actually always and forever for us, always giving good things to those who ask. What if the Canaanite woman embodies Jesus' teaching about persistence in prayer? After all, she asks and seeks and knocks, and he opens. She asks for bread, and he does not give her a stone. He gives good things to her. He is, after all, the one who says, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. This way of seeing the story has the virtue of being consistent with the rest of Matthew's gospel. From beginning to end, the story of Jesus includes the Gentiles. At the beginning of Matthew's gospel, the genealogy of Jesus includes four women, all of whom were reckoned as foreigners, Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, and Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. At his birth, the Magi from the east come to worship him, 
Jesus begins his ministry in Galilee of the Gentiles, fulfilling Isaiah's prophecy of light dawning on the nations. When a Roman centurion recognizes his authority, Jesus says he has not found such faith even in Israel. He marvels in our story at the faith of the Canaanite woman. And at the culmination of his earthly ministry, he sends his disciples to make disciples of all nations. And all of this matters enormously for us. I think perhaps all of us here this morning are Gentile Christians. And so the story of the Canaanite woman is our story. Her story is a forceful reminder of the mercy of God in including us Gentiles in the covenant that God has made to his people Israel. It's a reminder that God's salvation is given as St. Paul says, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. That we as Gentile Christians are, to use Paul's imagery, like wild branches grafted onto a cultivated olive tree. Christ comes first to rescue the lost sheep of the house of Israel and to make them into a people who will bear God's light to the nations. We Gentiles come second. We are like dogs who have been given the children's bread. The prayer book has a prayer that helps me make the story of the Canaanite woman my own story. I think you know it very well. It was written for the first prayer book back in 1549, and we say it every time that we come to the Lord's table to receive Holy Communion. We do not presume to come to this thy table, O merciful Lord, trusting in our own righteousness, but in thy manifold and great mercies. We are not worthy so much as to gather the crumbs from under thy table. But thou art the same Lord whose property is always to have mercy. Grant us therefore, gracious Lord, so to eat the flesh of thy dear Son, Jesus Christ, and to drink his blood, that we may evermore dwell in him and he in us. Yes, Lord, but even the dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. When I pray this prayer, I identify with the Canaanite woman. I make her prayer my own. She teaches me to pray. And together, we ask for the children's bread. And we find that by God's great and manifold mercies, that we are no more a stranger nor a guest, but like a child at home. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of All Souls Episcopal Church. For service times and more information, go to allsoulsokc.com. God be with you.